you to take those out, whether it's on your uh, iPad, uh, your phone, um, it'll be up here on the screens as well. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5. Let's go ahead and pull that up and, and show the first couple of verses here as we get started about God's Word today. Breathing room. Uh, breathing room is that margin in our lives that we so often do not take advantage of. We feel like at times it's been forced upon us that there are circumstances in our life, right? Job, a boss, uh, family, all of these kinds of relationship issues that, that put things into our day that make it challenging and difficult. And so I know at times it feels as if, wow, I, I don't have any control over everything that is going on in my life. And yet, understanding margin helps us understand that what God has in store for us is not to be living our life from sun up until sunset and beyond in such a way that we are just completely exhausted. How many of you are exhausted? Yeah. How many of you, emotionally, you're exhausted? Yeah. I mean, truth be told, we try to pile way too much into our lives, and no one is telling us, stop. Stop it already. Quit. It's okay to simply breathe. I want to show you what this kind of looks like. The world says that you have potential and that you can do anything. And this circle of my arms kind of represents uh, you know, the full capacity of what you're capable of accomplishing. And the world says, well, you can do anything, right? And so you know, at five years old, you believed, well, I'm going to be able to be a pro football player, okay? It doesn't matter that you weren't going to grow taller than five foot tall, okay? Um, the fact that you were female, okay, I mean, that's going to be a little more greater of a challenge. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's going to be a lot less possible than what we think. So there really is a limit to our life. There really are boundaries that we find ourselves in. There really is this, well, there's a max. There's only so much that you can do. And yet, what we have a tendency to do is this. Maybe that's about the first three or four hours of the day, right? I mean, you got things going on, right? And, and I'm going to put this in my mouth and not be able to talk for a second because I want you to see how this goes, okay? But what you're going to see is I want you to see the circle and how much space this balloon takes up inside the circle. Now, there was a lot of space on the outside of the balloon to the outside, right? And it looked like there was a, a lot of room there. But that's only the first three or four hours of the day. We go in the next three or four hours of the day, and it looks like this. Well, we've gotten to lunch about then, and we're thinking, okay, there are things that are going on. I've still got room. There's still margin. I haven't totally maxed out yet. And so we do this.
It's no wonder we get to the end of the day. Off work. School is over. Kids are finally home. It's, it's homework time. It's dinner time. It's bath time. It's on and on and on. And we realize we're not done. get to the end of the day <laughs> that's exactly what happens isn't it see how stretched out that is we get to the end of the day and we've filled and we've been near capacity We've been near capacity with whatever we've had to do. We've checked boxes off and we've listened to the world and the world has said, man, you got a lot done today. And all we did was keep filling our day over over and over and you guys can see it I mean I'm looking at your faces I'm looking at I mean there's hands getting ready to go over ears there's, there's cringing there's leaning back there's like protecting children there's there's people waiting for pieces of balloon to go and isn't that sad that our natural inclination is you know what he's just going to keep on going until what it bursts see all thought it was going to happen but I want to give you permission for something. I want you to know you can stop. And here's the reason it's important to stop. Sociologists, psychologists, all the ologists in the world that study these kinds of things, what they've realized is, is we all have capacity and there's only so much that we can do and only so much we can take on. Now here's interestingly what they've discovered. That the things we blow into the day, the balloon in that image, are only tasks. They're only things. They're only accomplishments. They're only things that we go after in the middle of the day and what gets pushed out what their margin, what fills in the margin are relationships. And you say, no, I know a lot of blowhards into their relationship. Okay, that's not what we're talking. You don't put that kind of effort into relationships. It's the space around the tasks of the day that is for relationships. And so it's no wonder, especially in our society, especially in our area, right? 80132 and 80921. I mean, we are hard chargers. We get things done. Our kids make the best grades, go to the best schools, et cetera, et cetera. We work for defense contractors and we make good money and we're retired and we know what rank is and we've gotten the next medal and the next award. And we live in that kind of society. And we push and we say, yeah, that's what it means to be successful. 
And it is why when we encourage you to say no to your schedule and join a life group, you go, because there's no margin for relationships. We don't even take the time for your family. Again, national average for fathers who work outside the home that have children under the age of 18, you know what the national average for the amount of time in a given day that a dad spends with his kids? It's 40 minutes. And moms that work, right? It's a little higher. It's almost two hours. I'm not advocating working or not working. I'm saying, folks, we've got something messed up when our capacity is only so big and we keep pouring in and pouring in and what gets pushed out are relationships. And these are important to God. We're talking relationships. It's no wonder that you don't find time to spend in God's word or in prayer. That we slow down long enough for protracted time of having your eyes closed and offering up to God thanksgiving or asking him to intercede. It's no wonder because there's no margin. There's no breathing room for relationships. I don't know if the world has said we don't value them. I don't know if you believe that the world has said, hey, it's okay to not invest in them. Do you know who's paying the price? We are. We're paying the price. And I wonder if it's because of our pride. I wonder if it's because, well, we want to see our name in lights. We want to build the resume. We want to be better off than our parents were, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so we believe the lie. And you know who suffers? Our spouse. Our spouse suffers. Our kids, they suffer. Our neighbors. I mean, really, i got to be honest with you. If all your neighbor knows about you is that you leave at 5 o'clock in the morning and that you get home at 6 o'clock at night and that they see you shove some kind of food into your mouth while you're going on to take your kids and all you get is a, hey, neighbor, we're busy. Oh, we're busy too. We don't have time. We haven't made time. And we haven't honored what I truly believe that God has in store for us, which is to invest in the people around us. That it is all about people, that it isn't about our accomplishments, that the time that you have on this earth is so very precious and so very vital. I think I shared with you last week, one of our families got a knock early in the morning last Sunday, finding out that their daughter had died in a motorcycle accident the night before. The week before that, another one of our families got a knock on the door with the police saying that their son had been killed while running just the evening before. And today, one of our very own 
who'd been struggling with lots of things and involved in, in a life group. And, and this group invested two years at minimum of just love and being by his side. He struggled with, with lots of inner crap. Last night, took his life. Folks, life is too short. For us not to invest in relationships. And what this is going to have to take, friends, is humility. Because if we start trying to do this because we want to look good, it's not going to happen. Paul writes, chapter 5, verse 21 the book of Ephesians, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Oh, we love this word. We love the word submit. I want to let you know that in all of my premarital counseling, I still use the word. We still talk about it. We still uh, uh, try to spend a little bit of time there. And when I go through the vows, the intent, we still talk about honor, obey, submit. And boy, everybody just loves that session with Pastor Dyer. I can see it on their faces where they're going, dude, would you get with the times already and quit using this backwards language? And I go, look, it has nothing to do with time. This has absolutely to do with God's word. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Not because your spouse is worth it. Not because you want your name for being uh, so good at being married. No, out of reverence for Jesus. My wife and I, occasionally we will have a disagreement. <laughs> Usually I haven't <coughs> exactly understood the female language and uh, just a minor little disagreement. And I, in my pride, will think that I'm right and I usually am, and um, <laughs> and I will forget this verse. And my wife, in her wisdom, will say something like this: "I love you because of Jesus right now." <laughs> She's got this verse nailed. Submit out of reverence to Jesus. Because right now, you're not lovable, you're not likable, and I don't want to be around you. I know that's hard for some of you to believe that somebody might think that about me. But it's about submission. You understand, wives, so we move from verse 21, and, and people don't like this, but we move to verse 22 here, and it's wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And see, we don't generally have a problem with that when we put the Lord in there, right? I mean, most of you would go, um, submitting to Jesus is a pretty good thing. Just a thumbs up. You think that's a generally good statement? Submitting to Jesus is a good thing. Just some of you are, it's cold, I know. Get the phalanges going here. Warm them up a little. That's a good thing, right? So submitting to Jesus is a good thing. And you say, yeah, but my spouse is not Jesus. It's a little hard to submit to him. He's a sinner. 
Yeah, now I get it. So wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church. Again, Christ being head of the church is a good thing, right? Thumbs up? I mean, we're all okay with that. But again, the issue is, is that we're okay with submitting to Jesus, or at least we say we are, but you ask me to submit to another human being who is a failure, who forgets, who fumbles, who doesn't get it right. Now it's a different issue. Now it's a struggle. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And you're going, um, isn't there like a time reference, historical something we can get out of this? Uh, no. But, but here's the issue. This isn't about dominance. It's not about power. It's about submission. And submission takes humility. And no, you don't want to be married to some guy that's going to be dragging you around left and right, that emotionally doesn't take care of you, that doesn't provide for you. Guys, listen up. You don't get to have your way, your will. You don't get to just do whatever pleases you and demand it of her. No, she's submitting to you as she submits to Christ, which means she expects you to be like Jesus. Guys, thumbs up or thumbs down. I treat my wife like Jesus would treat my wife. Thumbs up, yep. Thumbs down. Be careful, your wife is watching. <laughs> Go ahead, vote. I know where I'm at. We don't get it right. We don't get it clear. We don't do the, what we should. Verse 25 says this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or blemish, but holy and blameless. That's the picture. Guys, that you are called in your relationship with your spouse, with the girl you're dating, whatever, to be in such a way that she is holy that she is revered, that she's up on a pedestal, that the people around you go, whoa. And I don't mean just from her looks, I mean from her countenance, from the way her husband treats her, from the way her children revere her. This is, this is not hard. Ladies, can I just get a thumbs up or a thumbs down? If you were treated as this kind of royalty each and every day, would it be hard for you to submit? I mean, yes, it would be hard, or no, it wouldn't be hard. I didn't tell you how to vote, so that's my fault. <laughs> Sometimes guys are not clearing their communication. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ do that? He died. Guys, are you ready to die to your name, die to your degree, die to everything that you have set before you that the world says this is what you're supposed to be striving for? Are you ready to get rid of it and get, and get out? Get out of yourself, get out of your thinking. A couple years ago at our men's retreat, uh, one of our speakers asked uh, our audience of men if any of them had ever been a professional soccer player. No one raised their hand. He said, anyone play soccer in college 
or semi-pro. Guy raised his hand, brought him up on stage. He said, how long ago did you start uh, practicing and learning about soccer? So I was three years old, and I, I joined one team, and by five, I was on two teams. And by the time uh, I was in junior high, I, I was on several teams, select teams, and I was getting better and better, and I had more and more practice and got through high school, and I'd probably spent nearly 10,000 hours already by high school in practice. Getting through college and the semi-pro ranks, he'd spent, all told, added up nearly 30,000 hours in practice. And the speaker looked him in the face and he said, how many hours have you spent learning your wife? And he hung his head in shame. Because he realized he had spent not nearly the same amount of energy and effort and time in the number one relationship in his life. Not even close. And there's a disparity there, men. And it's no wonder that the women in our lives don't honor and respect because we're not worthy of it. We tell them by our actions and the way we spend money and the places that we go that there are things worth more than them. And this is not God-pleasing. To present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. I'm, I'm going to get a little graphic here. and Ladies, I'd like you to picture what it's like to stand in front of the mirror And know all your faults. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm being careful here. You look and you see everything that you don't like. And what it's like when your husband who loves you walks in and gives you compliment after compliment after compliment and sees you without wrinkle, without blemish, but holy and blameless. I know that's a little graphic this morning, but what would it take in relationship? It would take humility to be able to do that, to receive that, wouldn't it, ladies? Well, no, I'm just receive it. And that's what we're talking about in the humility and relationships, that vulnerability. You see, the only way that we are going to be able to invest in the relationships with the ultimate capacity that we have in this life is to be blameless, to be humble, to be on our knees, and to lift up, to serve others, to exalt them before ourselves. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ did the church. For we are members of his body. Guys, that we're taking care of. You see the idea? You see what I'm talking about? That we have to feed and nurture. If we're going to feed and nurture our own body, we have to feed and nurture the relationships that are around us, which means we take time and energy and effort to be with our kids, to be with our spouse, to be with our neighbors. Verse 31 says this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. 
However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Must, because that's the natural outflowing of a humble relationship. Must, because that's what God has always pictured, is that they're one flesh. That they're not fighting against each other. They're not friction. It's that they're one. It's that they're one. Now, children, you think you get out of this. I'm glad pastor's hitting on marriage this morning. No, here we go. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Children, obey your parents. Yeah, children, go ahead and just look at your parents right now. Just go ahead and look them in the eye and repeat after me. I love Jesus, and so I will obey him and you. Okay, so some of you were wise enough to get your cell phones out and record that, so good job. You can replay that all week long, okay, just as a reminder that they said it in church, and this is what we're talking about, right? Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you. You understand what happens when we invest in relationships, when we submit, when we submit to the authorities that are over us, it goes well for us. It goes well for us when we submit. You see, the world will tell you, don't ever submit, don't ever give in. Don't ever lose your self-identity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, submit. But fathers, verse 4, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Yeah, there's a response, right? So we see that there's this give and take in relationships. It's not about power, top-down leadership. This is an incorporation. Everyone's submitting to one another, that there's benefits through it. Now, slaves, verse 5, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Paul's not advocating that everyone have a slave. He's saying when you find yourself in whatever societal position you find yourself, obey your master. You know how he writes it in Romans? Romans chapter 13, let me read this to you. It's not going to be on the screen. You get to listen. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that's what God has established. The governing authorities. Yeah, yeah, the whole section, beginning of chapter 13, is all about government. One of our favorite topics, especially with submission. The authorities that exist have been established by God, period. Whether they're good or not, they've been established by God. They're worthy of our respect. Just by position. The challenge is, right, to be humble and say, I'll do it first because I know how it goes. Well, I'll be humble when she's humble. I'll start listening when she listens. I'll say I'm sorry after she says I'm sorry. And let me tell you something. That's not humble. That's pride. And pride will go before the fall every time. Verse 8 We read these last words. The Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. There are rewards. Your eternal salvation, that's already been won for you. You don't earn it by being in submission to your spouse or to your kids or to your boss or to the authority of the church. 
You, you don't lose that. You don't gain something in God's sight for doing that, except that he just simply goes, well done, good and faithful servant. Servant of all. And when that happens, I will promise you that there will be this blessing in your life where you will wake up one morning and go, you know what? I got stuff to do. But you know what? It's beautiful outside. I've only got so much to do. Come on, kids. Come on, wife. Come on, neighbor. Come on, life group. Let's enjoy the day that the Lord has made. For he indeed has made it for us. And my friends in Christ, you have permission to start saying no. No to schedules and yes to your family, to your friends to your neighbor, and to God. May everything you do and say bring him all honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to do something for me this morning. Well, you've done it before, but I want you to stand and put your arms around your family. And if you're by yourself today, would you please submit to a family near you? A family, if you see somebody single, will you join with them? Because this is the picture. I want you to see it. I want you to not just look at your family. I want you to look at the others around. This is the picture of what God has in store for relationships, is that we do this together. And so receive the closing benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and grant you his peace. And all God's people said, amen. amen.